It's found on page 740. Luke 15, chapter one, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to, the fa to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, been, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Okay, let us pray and then we'll think about this um, series of parables together. We've got three of them to work through. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we share together now and we ask you'd help us to understand these things a bit more deeply and uh, then follow through and, and change our lives in response to uh, this wonderful and good teaching from Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, have you ever been uh, lost as a child, uh, perhaps in a shopping centre? I was talking to one of the um, ladies at morning tea. She said, well, Peter, they didn't have shopping centres when I was a child, but, um, but I've certainly lost my car a few times in the shopping centre. I'm sure each of us could um, dredge up stories of where we have um, become lost from our loved ones, mum or dad, and remember that feeling. It's a rotten feeling. Despairing, sad, snot and tears, and uh, hoping that the experience would end sooner rather than later so that we can enjoy the comfort of being with those who care about us once more. Well, I've read also that even uh, cattle don't like to be lost. When they're separated from the herd for some time, I've read that when they get back home, they dive headlong back into that big herd once again to be right in the middle of it so that they can get squashed around, squashed up against the other cattle, step on their feet and have someone else's backside in their faces and that type of thing. But yeah, they, even a cattle enjoy being found back home again. Well, if it's good for uh, even beasts to be lost and then found, uh, how much more for people? So let's this morning have a little look at what Jesus has to say about being lost and found. At the start of this chapter, in um, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we see the kind of bad-mouthing that Jesus has experienced. He's been uh, fraternising, if I could use that word, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He hasn't long been uh, eating at one of the chief Pharisees' house. They talked about a feast at the end of the ages in the kingdom of God, and Jesus reminded them that there's all sorts of people who were going to be there at that feast. And those who thought of themselves as righteous might be missing out. Well, those ones who were thinking of themselves as pretty righteous started to criticise Jesus for the kind of people that he'd been socialising with. We'll pick that up in verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees... And teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The heart of their criticism was that he was socialising with the wrong people. They say he's, he's welcoming the sinners, eating with them, and it's a scandal. This uh, kind of finger pointing that he's experienced is actually brought to our attention earlier in this gospel when Jesus says the Son of Man came eating and drinking, 
And you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So can you see his crime? It's because he's not like the uh, Pharisees and the legal experts. He doesn't distance himself from the lowly people, the outcasts, the ones who've been looked down upon. And I joked earlier this morning, those who are from the wrong side of the tracks, and there's a few from Warhope there. There's not too many from Warhope here. Uh, Instead, Jesus draws near to them. But he's not thrilled by the particular response of those who are looking down on the others. And he's got something to say about their attitude and their approach to these uh, outcast people. So in response, he tells them to use their imaginations. He wants them to imagine that they might have been a a shepherd with a lot of sheep, a hundred sheep, or picture themselves as as a woman who's lost a coin or a father who's lost a son. Now, for the first two parables, there's a, there are some common threads. And the third one, there's common threads as well, but it, it takes it to another level. So we're going to deal with the first two first. The first common thread is being lost. In verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Or in verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. So there's the first theme, being lost. Jesus is saying, pitch yourself as losing something of value to you. In the first instance, when you lose one sheep out of a hundred, you've lost one percent. And when you lose a coin, one in ten, this is ten percent. So there's a a ratcheting up of the value of things that's getting lost in the parables. And of course, these things that are are lost or gone missing, they represent... Uh, those people who are the, the, the outcasts, the ones who the Pharisees and the teachers of law are looking down on. They're described as the tax collectors, and I've, I've read that it's not only in uh, that society that tax collectors weren't looked upon favourably, that across the planet nobody likes the tax collectors. And then there's the reference to the sinners, and these might be, but not limited to, possibly the prostitutes who came to the places where Jesus was eating a meal, And Jesus was socialising with those people as well. And in any case, these lost sheep and lost coin represent the folk who might be deemed lost in society, cut off from life with God and life with God's people. The next common theme or thread is being sought out. Jesus asked them to imagine them looking for a lost sheep. Or imagine looking for the coin. Verse 4, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? In verse 8, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? It's interesting here because Jesus is picking up on an image that's already been brought up in the Old Testament. Uh, in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel speaks to the people on, um, on God's behalf and he reminds them that the leaders haven't done a very good job of leading uh, the people. In Ezekiel chapter 34 we read, this is God's verdict, you've not strengthened, strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays 
or search for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. And so Jesus is now saying, imagine that you care for the sheep and that you're keen to find it. Or you're keen to go and find that lost coin. And there's a touch of irony here as Jesus is saying, look, imagine you, want, you wanted to go and look for these things. He's saying, you know, if, if you own the sheep, you'd probably be pretty keen to go and find it. If you, if you had a coin that's missing, you'd be after it. Which one of you wouldn't go and look for his sheep? Who wouldn't go and look for their coin? But the problem is, these people aren't interested in looking for the lost. They might be interested if they had a sheep that we're missing or a coin, but they're not interested in looking for the lost people. And these people are critical of Jesus for doing that very thing. These teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they, they can see Jesus looking for the lost and they, they're, they're teasing him for it. But Jesus gives us a picture of what God is like as he searches for the lost. And it reminds us again of what Jesus has read as a boy, as he read the Bible. He read Ezekiel 34. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after, looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. Well, these people aren't interested in looking for the lost, but God is. And that's what we see Jesus doing. Jesus comes to seek and save that which was lost. And that's what he's been criticised for. And that brings us to a point where the people themselves start to become found. And there's a common thread of personal repentance. In verses 7 to 10, verse 7 there's joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, repentance is, um, the Greek word's meganoite, but uh, it just it means there's a change of heart and a change of mind uh, to stop trusting oneself and to start trusting in something else. And here, the sinners are making a change as well. Instead of living a life of rebellion against God and forgetting about God and doing their own thing, they're turning back to God. Then they're coming to Jesus, they're very grateful for him, and they put their trust in him. And apparently, we're told that somebody's excited about this, God's excited, and the angel's in heaven. Uh, when people turn back and are restored, there is this wonderful celebration that's described. And from time to time, people do actually repent and become Christians. It's remarkable when it does happen, but it does actually happen. Uh, when Paul was um, writing the Bible uh, in 1 Thessalonians, he talked about how their con um, conversion to Christianity started to actually ring out across the area in which they lived. He said, we can report what others are saying. They say how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so the gospel explodes and goes out after the time of Jesus. A whole lot of people become Christians. It happened back then and people 
repent for their sin now as well. Now, just to give you an example of that, um, this book that I'm holding up here called Economics for Life. Now, some of you might not think economics books are good bedtime reading. I tend to disagree. I find they help me get to sleep. Um, but this, <laughs> this book's written by a gentleman called Ian Harper, and uh, it's called An Economist Reflects on the Meaning of Life, Money, and What Really Matters. And I got it at Kurong Bookstore because Ian Harper, he's, who's been uh, appointed by the federal government to be the chairman of our productivity uh, competition review, and that's a current thing that's happening, um, he actually became a Christian. He was lost and, and he's found. And this is uh, what he wrote. Uh, around 1989, at Christmas time, uh, he'd spent some time meeting up with the minister of his church, uh, a Melbourne Anglican church, and he finally got to the point where he'd actually put his trust in Jesus. And so he, he thought it was the right thing to do to then celebrate the Lord's Supper. And he'd taken communion, and the minister at the end of the church service asked him, he said, uh, why had he taken the communion? And he said, because it's true. And reflecting on his change of life, he said, my initial response to my conversion was a sense of joy that my mind could finally affirm as true what my heart for some time had been willing to accept. I felt an inner peace as I let go of the last strains of my resistance. And so he's, uh, he's finally got to this point in life where he realises, having read the Gospel of Mark and asked his questions, that, yeah, he did actually believe it was true and, in a sense, his mind caught up with his heart. Uh, and so it's just a good story of how, even though in the early church people became Christians, even today, uh, professor, people like Professor Harper, bright guys, uh, they become Christians too. The lost get found. And there is a joy when someone who was lost is found. That's another common thread in this parable. There's the joy of salvation as there's a celebration. Verse 6 and 7. Uh, then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And verse 9 for the, for the lost coin. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus gives us this picture of a wonderful and delightful celebration occurring in heaven now that somebody who was lost is now found. But that's not the reaction that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees had. In fact, for them, it was a bit more like when somebody else has got a party and they're making a bit of noise, a bit too much noise at the wrong time of night. For them, somebody else's celebration becomes uh, their nightmare, if I could put it that way. The sound of champagne corks popping, uh, music and the thump, thump, thump of people dancing on the floor or the doof, doof, doof of those subwoofers. Uh, people honking their horns when they're driving off at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. They're all happy about someone winning a grand final. Well, for these people, they're like the ones who are the, the neighbours who didn't get invited along. And they're old and cranky. Well, God doesn't want us to be like those Pharisees and the teachers of law 
He wants us to celebrate when someone's found. And so we ought to be filled with joy when we hear that people are becoming Christians. Jesus wants to progress these parables now too. So he's, he's now rationing it up once again. So it was 1% with the lost sheep, 10% with the lost coin, and now it's 50% because there's a, a lost son. Now, I must say, in reading the story about the, uh, the younger son, it's a bit frustrating in some ways because I'm, I'm, this, I'm the younger son of two boys. This guy doesn't look great. It's always the younger son, isn't it? He's, he's irresponsible. Okay, well, the younger son insults his father, doesn't he, by asking for his inheritance early. His father's still alive, but the younger son wants his share while his dad's still around. Now, it's not great form in that culture, is it? The father's not going to go down to the bowling club and say, guess what? The boy wants me dead and he wants his inheritance early. You know, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your money and do my own thing. It's not a great story to tell his mates. He's not going to bore the neighbours to tears with that story. He's going to keep that under, a, under his hat. Well, as soon as he asks for the money, the father still shows fidelity, kindness. He follows through on the son's request and gives him the loot. And then he does his own thing. It reminds us of the definition of prodigal, doesn't it? The definition of prodigal is recklessly wasteful. That's what it means. He's recklessly wasteful. And so he sets off for a distant country and there squanders his wealth in wild living. Now, of course, who does the youngest son represent? Well, he represents those people who are the outcasts, those who are looked down on, the tax collectors and the sinners. Their lives are messy and this younger son's lives are messy also. But now in the story, something remarkable happens. It's good news. The younger son, uh, whilst he's doing it tough, he has a change of heart. He can see that life apart from his father is miserable. It's hopeless. It's disastrous and it ends in tears. And so this guy thinks about his situation of life apart from his father, and he decides to go home and humble himself before his father. And Jesus uses this kind of illustration to remind us of the things that are going on as people's lives are being turned around. When they start to think about their life in relation to God, and they think, yes, I would like to make a change. I'm sick of being a rebel. And they turn back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. But here's a question I don't know whether you've thought of. It's worth asking. Um, this son and this story, what does it remind us of? The younger son is wasteful, he rebels. He goes off to a distant country and finds him in a place with pigs and he finds himself in need. It's not very nice there. He longs to go back home. Who does that sound like? It sounds a bit like the story of Israel, doesn't it? They were rebellious, they turned to idols. Sometimes they did very well. There was inequality between rich and the poor and some of them were wealthy and arrogant. God judged them by means of the first exile to Assyria and then an exile to Babylon, distant countries where there were probably pigs, where life for the most part was hard for many of them and many of them longed to return home to the promised land. I wonder to what extent Jesus is actually talking about the story of Israel here as well. 
Well, we start to see the parable shift now and it moves from the younger son to the father. When the young son's still a long way off, the father sees him. We're told he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And that clearly represents God's kind character and his attitude to those who were turning back to him and his willingness to forgive them and reinstate them into the family. It's a picture of a loving father. He runs to his son and apparently well-to-do Middle Eastern men didn't, didn't run. They didn't run for anyone in that culture. If I could put it this way, it wasn't cool to go running after your son, tearing off. And so that just underscores the love that the father has for this repentant son. And it reminds us of God's willingness to forgive those who turn back to him. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, God is willing to forgive. Paul, the apostle, was a great sinner. And he writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And Paul continues by pointing out that if he can receive God's mercy because he was dreadful, uh, then anyone can receive God's kindness and mercy. And that brings us to the picture where the son is now reinstated into the family. He's given a robe, a ring, sandals and the fattened calf. Ah yes, the fattened calf. Brings me memories of when we did a mission to Maxville with the Presbyterian College a few years ago. The kids quite enjoyed it when we dressed up one of the more hefty characters on the team and put a cow skin on him. Someone put a nice big target on his backside and then someone shot him with one of those kids' bow and arrows with a suction cat on. And uh, the kids liked that scene, the fatted calf. Uh, the fatted calf, though, is really representing how the son is loved by the father. He's reinstated, treated as a son, included in the family. He's not treated as a second-class citizen or as a servant. He's treated as an heir, given even the best cow in the paddock. Well, that's a picture of what it's like for these people who are lost, brought back into God's family. Jesus sharpens this parable now, though, to his audience. If those outcasts were like the young son, who are, who's the older brother like? Well, the older brother hears the celebration, doesn't he? But he finds, he finds out what's going on from a servant. He says, what's going on? And he finds out that the younger brothers come home. And he gets cranky. He's angry about it. And he won't go in to celebrate. Well, he represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are unhappy about Jesus fraternising with the wrong crowd, some of whom are turning back to God. That's what the, that's what the uh, older brother's like. He's more like those Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The younger brother, he's described as lost, and that's pretty clear from the story. But look at what the older brother says to his father in verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So how does he describe his relationship with the father? Well, it's described in terms of a slavery. 
never disobeying orders. Sounds like a, he's a grunt in the military. So it sounds a lot like he's lost as well, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, well, while the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are quick to point out the other people who are lost, well, they need to rethink their, where they stand in their relationship with God too because they sound, this guy sounds pretty lost and they're a lot like him. In these parables, Jesus challenges them to revisit their attitude to the lost who are coming to repentance and new life. He wants them to think about uh, maybe being glad that people are getting right with God. That would be a change. And so he challenges, challenges them in this final scene, actually. This is where it dovetails in nicely. He's, this is the words from the father. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so we're left, aren't we, at the end of this story wondering what's the older brother going to do? Is he going to listen to the correction from his wise and loving father and go inside and join the celebration? Or is he going to stay outside and be a bit self-righteous about it all? And the question for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is, will they listen to Jesus? Will they soften in their attitude to all these kinds of um, misfits, if I can put it that way, who are, who are turning back to God and coming to Jesus? Will they soften in their attitude to people getting right with God and start to think this is a, a wonderful thing that's happening? Well, it's hard to know what the Pharisees did do. Um, some of them seem to have time for Jesus, whereas... Others seem to be like the older brother standing outside. Well, that brings us to us, though, doesn't it? Who do we identify with in these parables? Well, there's probably a bit of the younger son in us, isn't there? Like the younger son, we're not perfect either. We each have many failings. And you can ask my family uh, later on uh, what my fa failings are like. Uh, if you're not sure of your failings, by the way, you can always ask those around you. They're probably very familiar with them. So we're... We're a lot like the young son in some respects, aren't we? We've, we've all, each made our own blunders. We all need forgiveness. And in some ways, we can also be like the older brother too, can't we? Chief among his sins seemed to be pride and self-righteousness. He seemed to have a bit of a hard heart at times, hard towards uh, his father, God, and hard towards other people. Pharisees and the teachers of the law are condemned for looking down on other people and not willing to associate. And on top of it all, they criticise Jesus for doing that kind of thing. Well, we should be learning from both their mistakes. We should remember that we're among those who've been lost but are now found and we should be remembering God's grace towards us, continuing to humble ourselves before God and repentant before God because as we continue in this life until heaven we will still sin but we need to keep doing what the young son did and repenting and turning back that's the, that's the normal Christian life and we've also got to remember to associate with all kinds of people don't we, not to look down on people, people are made in the image of God and even though there's a whole lot of people out there who are lost uh, we never know. By God's grace, they may be found. 
And that may even happen through our connection with them. And when they are, we can be among those who rejoice that uh, all sorts of people turn back to God, become Christians, and rejoice with those who rejoice in heaven. So let us be those who are grateful to God for his grace to us, first and foremost. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for this reminder again today of your character and your, your willingness to forgive and bring people into your family as uh, your children and heirs. Lord, we do thank you for the forgiveness that we have for our sins, each one of us. We know we're not perfect people and like the younger son, we need to repent and turn back to you. And we do thank you for your willingness to forgive. Well, we pray we learn from the blunders of the older brother and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and their attitude to the outcast and those who they felt superior to. We pray that we wouldn't have arrogant hearts like that, that we'd be willing to associate with all kinds of people. And Lord, we pray for our responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ in the world, to give a reason for the hope that we have for our salvation that comes through Jesus. We pray that you'd use our weak words and our stumbling conversations to perhaps even sow, sow the seed so that people can hear about the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for their, them and their sin. Lord, we do give you thanks for this time now and for this challenge uh, to be a bit more like Jesus, to seek and save the lost. And we thank you for your grace to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.